Wednesdays, but over the last couple of Wednesday nights, um, one right before I went on vacation, uh, and then even last week I was sharing with you about really um, getting God's vision for your life. And so tonight I want to kind of dovetail along that same line, but looking at a specific area, because really the last two Wednesdays were actually kind of a long, they were tied together, although you may not have realized it, And uh, but tonight I'm going to tie them together. I guess it was three Wednesdays ago I shared with you about overcoming fear. And, uh, you know, and that's a huge aspect of the way and one of the greatest tools I believe the enemy uses against us. You know, uh, I believe that the two greatest weapons that the enemy uses against us as the body of Christ is this. Number one is ignorance. Now, that doesn't mean ignorance as in somebody stupid. It's ignorant as in I don't know. Um, you know, if, if the devil can convince you that, well, maybe God doesn't heal, he doesn't have to worry about you standing in faith for God to heal. He can just take care of that beforehand. And we even looked at this verse last week. It's uh, Proverbs um, 29, verse 18 says that um, where there is no vision, the Amplified adds that it's redemptive understanding. So in other words, if you don't know God's will, you can't have a vision for what God wants to do in your life. You know, and, and he says, and that verse goes on, he says, where there is no vision, people perish. When they don't know what God wants to do in their life, the, the enemy can rob from you and you not even know. Not because God doesn't want to, but because we simply don't know what he wants to do. Uh, and, and I believe that, he, that the devil many times fights so hard against people fully grasping the word of God and holding firm to it and not pulling back on it. Why? Because if he can get us into a place where we're not uh, fully understanding or maybe grasping, you know, the concepts and the really the wisdom of Scripture in our life, whether that be through circumstances. Well, I've tried that and it didn't work for me. Well, you know, I understand that's what the Bible says, but this is the way I was taught. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I was raised... What are you going to believe? The thoughts that you were raised with by whoever. Maybe it was your family. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a teacher, a coach. Who knows? But what's the ultimate authority in your life? Is it the wisdom of this world or is it the wisdom of God? You know, and the thing is, is that the enemy will use that to really to leverage against us to keep us from experiencing all that God has. And the other aspect, because that's the first one I believe is ignorance. The second one I believe is fear. Uh, because here's the thing is that if the enemy can get us to fear, that keeps us from stepping over into faith. It's just a principle. You know, they're like opposite magnets. They just, they're not going to attract. And, and you know, and, and the thing is, is that uh, many times we can face these things and, and it is a common enemy. I mean, we all face it. Uh, you know, I was, even as I was praying and preparing this message, I was thinking about how, you know, uh, many times is that, uh, you know, give you the example of, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, we know this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, there's two aspects to this. You know, is that I believe that from what I can tell is that there was actually a spirit who had an assignment to go and harass Timothy to get him to what? To step out of his destiny. It doesn't mean that we all, that every spirit, you know, even a spirit of fear doesn't mean that necessarily for all of us. Now, let me give you another example. You know, there was a woman in Scripture that Jesus had encountered, and it says that she had a spirit of infirmity that she had been bound with for 18 years. How many of you are familiar with the verse I'm talking about? Well, how many of you realize that just because I get sick doesn't mean I have a spirit of infirmity? It might mean I have symptoms in my body. But if I am chronically, one after another, seemingly unfolding, there might be a spirit at work there. 
Well, I got better, and then boom, there's right on the hill. There may be a spirit at work. You know, and so, but even in the area of fear, just because you're fearful doesn't mean that there's a, a demonic force behind it. It could be ignorance of the Word of God that's creating a fear and keeping you from trusting God the way that God wants you to. And because you can't grab hold of the Word, it creates uncertainty and fear in your life. And so, you know, I, I, my pastor in Kansas used to say this a lot. And he was like, you know, he would make the statement that when we get to heaven, the devil's going to be crying. Say, they were blaming me for everything. And the devil's not responsible for everything. Why? Because if we make bad decisions, if you don't put gas in your car, you're going to run out. That's not the devil's fault. He didn't siphon it out. You didn't pay attention to the needle going this direction. And then it got way over here and it goes, ding, ding, ding. You're like, oh, and look, and I, I, I've had those moments where I've had to pray and say, Lord, forgive my stupidity because I might run out of gas right now. And, uh, you know, and just praying, Lord, just help me have some mercy and uh, just help me out in this moment. You know, but there are some things that we have to understand in the area of fear, because if we're not careful, fear will dominate our thought life. You know, and whether it's the enemy or not, the effects are still the same. The effects of fear are the same. There's anxiety. There's all kinds of worry. There's, you know, I mean, you can lose sleep. You can lose an appetite. You can lose all kinds of, you know, not to mention just losing your peace, losing your joy, losing the very things that Jesus came to give us. And so I want to look tonight, um, you know, and I've been sharing over the last couple of weeks, really, I shared about fear, but also last week shared about vision and really having God's vision for your life. And you're, you may say, well, I don't understand how those go hand in hand. Because to do what God's called you to do, you can't do it. And so the first response is going to be, I can't do that. Like that would be amazing. And this could be in any area of your life. I don't mean just in your ultimate calling of life. I mean, has God called you to prosper? Has God called you to be in health? Has God called you to walk in peace? Yes. Has God called you to have a home that is a sanctuary? Yes, absolutely. Those are things that I believe that God wants for us as his children. Why? Because the Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from above. It comes from him. Well, those are all really good things. And the Bible is very clear in what God wants to do for us. And it may, you know, and there may be, no, really there's no end to what God wants to do in our life. But if we can see it in Scripture, it is part of God's vision, God's purpose for our life. You know, God's purpose for us did not stop in the moment of just getting saved. Oh, I'm saved from hell. Praise the Lord. It's amazing. Thank God that that's where we started. But salvation does not stop in that moment. It keeps continuing to work in us and through us. And yet, even when, um, you know, and it may be that somebody shares a testimony. Maybe they get healed in their body. Maybe God works in their life in a financial arena. Maybe, you know, a, a marriage is restored or somebody's kid comes back to the Lord who, you know, they've had a kid away. I mean, I know, um, you know, I'll tell you a story. About that, specifically, there was a lady in Shreveport that I knew. She was an older lady, an amazing woman of God, but she didn't speak to her son for over 25 years. And I, I mean, I don't mean like they just didn't see much. They did not say a word for 25 years. And she constantly was believing God and believing God and believing God that her son would, just for that relationship to be restored. Well, one day, he just called. 
and said, Mom, I just need to tell you, I'm sorry. I realize that this is, that I've been wrong and that I have been, that, that you never did anything. Well, God brought that about. Well, even in that moment, you may be in that moment, you say, yeah, but that wouldn't happen for me. That's fear. That's the devil coming immediately to steal what? The hope of the possibility that God would work for you like he did for them. See, fear will keep you from even believing for God's best in your life, in every area of your life. If you allow him to. If you allow that to work in you. And so it does have a great impact. A great impact. And just because you maybe whip fear in one season doesn't mean it won't come back. No, it's going to. Why? Because, and part of it is, is I believe that it, and it can be a good thing in a way. Because if you, I'll say it this way, if you learn how to use fear properly, it will keep you dependent on the Lord. Amen. Well, that's a good thing. I don't want to get over into pride where I say, well, I don't, I can, I've got this and I don't, I can handle this on my own. No, I want to live a life that's dependent on the Lord. You know, and that's in every area of my life. I don't want to be, you know, even in the area of finances. I don't want to just be able to say, well, I figured all this out and this is what I did. And, you know, and I did this and I did this and I did that. I want to look back and say, man, I did a few things right, but God did a whole lot of good too. Because there's no way, because I ain't that smart and I ain't that good. and I'm not that sharp. You know, and I want to see the hand of God that has written the story of my life. I don't want to write my story. You shouldn't want to write the story of your life. You should want to say, God, I want you to be the author and the finisher of my faith that I applied in my life. And the fruit of my life was way greater than anything that I could have ever have dreamed of it being. Because God said, I want to take what your desire is, what your desires. I mean, the Bible says that, uh, you know, God gives us the, the desires of our heart. Now, it's not just any desire. There are desires that are in accordance to his will, but... Again, is it God's will for you to be blessed? Yes. Is it God's will for you to be healed? Yes. Absolutely. Why? Because he said it in his word. And so, but we're going to have to deal with those, those, those fear thoughts that come. Well, you know, I asked the Lord to work in this situation before and, you know, it just didn't happen. Well, that's the enemy coming. You know, the Bible says the righteous will fall seven times, but they will get back up. It never said that the righteous never would miss it. I mean, if you've lived for God for a week, you've missed it. Let me just relieve some pressure for you. You've missed it. I've missed it. But this is what I know in the missing it is not what matters. It's in the getting up and saying, okay, I'm learning from that. Now, if we keep making the same mistakes, then we might need some help. We might need to talk to somebody. We might need to have somebody around us to give us wisdom. That's why it's important to be a part of community and to have people in your life. I don't want to keep falling over the same thing time and time again. But even in that, the enemy will continue. Be like, oh, you remember what happened last time? Oh, we've been here before, but you know, you're going to screw this up. Some people live their entire lives out of fear of messing up. They're waiting on the other shoe to drop. They're just waiting on They live for years and years and years waiting, 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 waiting. And they're in fear. I mean, so many people have the question about Job. Why did Job go through what he did? It says it, Job 42, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. He opened the door to the enemy. 
Through fear, he had opened that door. And so I want to show you some things tonight. It's a familiar um, uh, story, if you will. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to look at a familiar uh, story here. This is the story of Gideon. You know, and Gideon is an interesting character in Scripture because I believe it's a, it's a great example for us that we can learn uh, just some wisdom out of. And so I'm going to share some things with you from this story. Um, and we're going to read about a chapter of the Bible tonight. We're not going to be going all over the place. We're sticking right here in, in Judges. So, uh, But I want to read you parts of the story here. And so, uh, And some of you are probably familiar with this and some of you maybe not as much, but We're going to read it so we're all on the same page. Here in verse 11 of Judges chapter 6, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joash of the clan of uh, Abizer. It says, uh, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I understand enough about this that when you're threshing, you've got to get some wind you got to do something, and yet he's in a hole hiding. And yet, I'm going to paraphrase this just for the sake of time, but here's why he was in the hole. He was afraid. You go and read the beginning of this chapter, uh, you know, verses 1 through verse 6. The Midianites, the Bible says that the children of Israel had done evil in the Lord's sight. And because of that, the Moabites had come in, I'm sorry, the Midianites had come in, and they had overtaken them. So every time that they would plant a crop, they would be watching from the distance, waiting for it to grow. And about the time it was harvest time, the Midianites would run in and take all their food. They would, and they had huge herds of crops. And so they would come in and they would just decimate everything around it to the point that the children of Israel were starving. That's what the Bible says. It says that they were at the point of starvation. They had no food. And so Gideon is in a hole hoping to get enough wheat... Enough grain that he could what? Go make a loaf of bread. He's not trying to get a bunch. I mean, he's just hoping for a little bit. Just enough to be able to do something. In verse 12, he goes on, or it goes on, it says, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. The New Living Translation says, "Uh, You mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Other translations, which is the one that more people are more familiar with, is you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. You man of courage. See, God will always tell us who we are, not who we perceive that we are. See, in this moment, Gideon is a coward. But yet God calls him a man of valor. See, God doesn't look at our circumstances to dictate who we are. He doesn't look at our moments to say, well, according to your situation, this is who you have to be. God says, no, this is who I've called you to be. Gideon, you're hiding in this moment, but I've called you to be a warrior. I've called you to be a deliverer of the people of my people. And yet, Gideon has a problem. Because he's hiding out, just looking for a loaf of bread. He's, He's just trying to figure out whatever he can do. To make it for another day. That's all he's trying to do. And yet the angel shows up and calls him this mighty man of valor. You man of courage. You man of strength. Gideon responds in verse 13 and says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? 
You ever had a thought like that? If God's really with me, see, that's fear speaking right there. If God's with me, why would this happen? I mean, I've had to walk through seasons of my life, and that thought comes. Doesn't mean I have to meditate on it. Doesn't mean I have to take it. Doesn't mean I have to wallow in it and cry and moan and Lord. And, but that, the, the enemy will make sure that thought's going to come. Well, if you were really walking with the Lord, this wouldn't have happened. If you were really doing what you were supposed to do, if you really had faith, you would be healed. I mean, those types of thoughts come. And yet Gideon responds to the angel and says, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? You ever had somebody tell you you were foolish for believing God? I mean, Job's own wife said what? Just curse God and die. Hi, Job, just give it up. And yet Gideon in this moment says, why has God abandoned us? Why has he pushed, if he, if he delivered us, why would he hand us over to another nation? And the Bible actually says at the beginning of this that the Midianites were very cruel. Very cruel. They weren't, you know, I mean, any natural resource they could take, they took. They decimated it. To the point that it just created a complete uh, collapse of really the society that they were living in. Verse 14 is such a powerful verse. He says, then the Lord turned to him. Turns to Gideon and he says, go in the strength that you have. Now think about this. Gideon's in a hole, trying to get a loaf of bread. He's not very bold. He's not very courageous. He's hiding out, just trying to get a meal. And the instruction is, go in the strength that you have. Now, the wording's important. Why? Because God called him a mighty man of valor, a man of war. And yet, Gideon did have strength. The problem was, Gideon didn't know it. And here's a principle, and this really ties into really, uh, it's just to the core of who I am. And I see it over and over. I see a pattern in Scripture. Is that God calls somebody to do something, but they have to take a step first. We want to wait and say, well, when God prepares me, I'll go. And God says, as you go, I will prepare you. I mean, go read as God, how God walked with Moses. I mean, it was one thing after another, and it was constantly, Moses, you do this. Moses, raise up your hands, and I will part the waters. Well, why wouldn't Moses say, well, why don't you just part the waters, and I'll raise my hand. And when I let my hand down, the water, that's not, God says, you take a step of faith first. Amen. So Gideon had strength that he wasn't even aware of. Gideon was completely unaware of what God had for him. And we'll see as the story unfolds. But I think it's interesting here that it says the Lord told him, go in the strength that you have. See, even in this moment, it doesn't matter what it may be that you're facing right now or what you may be going through. You have strength. You have faith. You have the ability to begin taking the steps necessary for God to work in your life. The problem is, is that many times people sit back and wait because they're so afraid of taking a step or making a move or, or taking that, that first initial kind of 
And look, we're not making God do anything. We can't make God do anything. But I do know this, God honors faith. And when we take a first step, God says, I'm going to honor that step. And then I take another step, and God honors that step. And I take another step, and God will honor that step. And so it keeps going on, and it says, Go in the strength that you have, and I will rescue or and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. The Lord is sending you. So, you know, I mean, and, and, and this is a neat little phrase, and most of us have probably heard some variation of it, is that God never uses the qualified. But He qualifies those that He calls. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture. This is one that everybody knows. Okay, the Apostle Paul was schooled with the best teachers on the planet. He went to the best schools. I, I did a... Uh, I did some study one time into, into the life of Paul and really his education in the natural. And, they, and this was their paraphrase. He was the valedictorian of every school that he ever went to. And he went to the best schools with the best teachers. And, and so he was highly educated. He was from a, uh, you know, if you, if you want to say it like this, a, a noble family. He had a, you know, his family was well thought of. And yet Paul got called to the Gentiles who didn't care nothing about any of that. He was highly educated and God says, hey, I want to use you out there with people that that doesn't mean anything. But then who got sent to the Jewish people? Peter, a fisherman who was uneducated, who was half crazy. But yet God used Peter to reach the Jewish people and he used Paul to reach the Gentile people. Now, if I'm God... I'm going to reverse that order. I want Paul to go talk to the, to the Jewish people because he understood the language and he would have respect from them. But God says, no, no, that's not, I don't, I don't work like that. I'm, I'm going to do the opposite of what seems logical. So Peter, you go to the Jewish people. Paul, you go to the Gentiles. And the kingdom of God is still going to flourish through both men. Even though in the natural it didn't make any sense. And so here's one of the things that you have to know, is, and it's exactly what it says here in verse 14. The Lord speaks to Gideon and says, go in the strength that you have. I am sending you. Yeah. When God calls you, he will equip you. It doesn't mean that you're fully equipped in that moment. Now, you may be and you may have to develop those things. There's no denying that. But, I mean, you know... God, let me say it this way. God will start with you right where you are, yes. But you've got to start moving. You can't wait until, you know, I mean, until the weather's perfect and all the, everything just looks just right and everything, you know. You know, the Apostle Paul ran into a shipwreck that way. Like, hey, the weather looks great. We need to leave port. And Paul's going, mm-mm. It's like, this is not going to end well. But yet they looked at their circumstances and said, hey, this all looks good. We ought to do this. Sometimes the Lord has asked me to do things that I'm like, this is the worst time. I mean, most of you know this story. Me and Derry became the pastors of this church. And about two or three weeks later, I found out she was pregnant. <laughs> Surprise, all right. This, was, this, this is an honest moment. God, how can this be the right time? This cannot. This is the worst time. I mean, that was, I mean, that was my attitude. 
I'm like, God, this is not good. <laughs> like, I had insurance three weeks ago. Good insurance. Why couldn't we have done this last year? And yet, watch the Lord work. Watch, you know. I mean, so there's moments where things, and you're like, this cannot be the right time. And the Lord says, yep, it is. And you're like, "Mm, I'm not moving. Well, then you're in disobedience. Well, that's not a good place to be either. You don't want to be Jonah, right? (laughs) I mean, look. You know, even taking that story, God can get you wherever He wants you to go, but it's up to us how we get there. You can go the Jonah route if you want. That's where disobedience gets you. It's not a very pleasant ride. You still got there, but you don't really want to tell the story. Or you can walk with the Lord. And you may be afraid. There may be fear. But you cannot let fear paralyze you. You have to move in spite of fear. You have to move in spite of challenge. And so Gideon goes on here in verse 15 and he says, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord responds to him and says, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites. As if you were fighting against one man. That's a pretty good word from God right there. Gideon, you're going to do this and it's going to be so easy. Now Gideon doesn't know the whole story yet. Most of us know the whole story. and In the natural it didn't seem very easy. Gideon responds and says, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Gideon's like, look, I ain't moving nowhere. I don't care if it's an angel. I don't care. You got to give me a sign. So that I know this is actually the Lord. Verse 18 says, don't go. Or he respond, continues. Gideon respond, or keeps speaking. He says, don't go away till I come back and bring my offering to you. Angel responds, says, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurries home. He cooks a young goat and a basket of flour. Or with a basket of flour, he bakes some bread without yeast. He says, then carrying the meat in a basket and uh, broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. It says, the angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on the rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. See, we don't have to know every step. We just have to do what the Lord says. Just do the next thing he says. Do the next thing. You don't need to know step 10. You need to know step 1. Then you need to know step two. Then you need to know step three. It is one step at a time. Now God may give you a picture of the end, but he is not going to give you the road map to connect all the dots. Because it's going to require faith for you to pursue and to accomplish all that God has for you. So Gideon does what he's told. And it says, The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff. Um... And flame fired up on the, from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. And uh, the angel of the Lord disappeared. So Gideon's alone. He was alone in a moment a few minutes ago. Or well, at this point, probably a little while ago. Because he done cooked a whole meal. But now all of a sudden he's alone again. And Gideon realizes that, man, this is the Lord. 
says that he realized that it was the angel of the Lord, and he responds and says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the face of an angel. The Lord responds and says, It's all right. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Now, why did God tell Gideon, Don't be afraid? Because he was afraid. So Gideon was afraid in the hole. He has this amazing encounter with an angel. He's still afraid. See kind of the, the theme happening in Gideon here? He was probably a pretty anxious person. I would assume, just from what I can read, that when the angel showed up to Gideon, it probably scared him. And he was probably nervous. And that's why he wanted to know, is this really the Lord or is somebody just playing a bad joke? And yet the Lord tells him, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And it says, and so Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there. And named it uh, Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Habezer to this day. And it says, then that night. So he gets a call from God that morning, that day. He knows it's the Lord. He gets a vision from God. God says, look, Gideon, you're going to have to go in the strength that you have. You're going to have to start moving in a direction. You're going to have to start going somewhere. So that I can work with you. And then that night, the Lord uh, said to Gideon, Take the bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. This was a test, by the way, from the Lord in Gideon's life. Why? Because God called him to be a mighty man of valor, but yet he was dominated by fear. And so God wanted to know. How obedient will you be? Because if he wasn't going to be obedient, there was no need for him to try to go out and face the Midianites. Why? Because he wasn't going to do what the Lord had told him. So his father has an altar. And so the Lord gave me the instruction. Verse 26 says, Build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, lying the stones carefully. It says, Sacrifice the bull as the burnt offering on the altar, using uh, as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. It says, so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. That's important. He did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid. Again, Gideon's afraid. Gideon was obedient, but he looked for a better time to do it. I know no one's ever done that. Oh, I'm going to be obedient. But it'll be on my time frame. But at least he was obedient. I'll say this. The the Lord didn't tell him when to do it. So he just picked a more convenient time for him to do it. Why? Because to go knock over an altar was a big deal. I mean, I don't even know anything that I could compare this to in our culture. This wasn't just like I'm going to knock over some gnomes in your yard. I mean, this was where they sacrificed... God, this was the really the, the focus of their really, I guess you could call it this, is a religious ceremony. I mean, it would be like at Easter time, you have a cross, you know, in a, a little, in your yard, and somebody comes in there and, uh, you know, vandalizes it. That's not even really close. That's the closest thing I could even somewhat compare it to. I mean, they almost think like fa- like the most valuable family heirloom you have. And somebody came in and destroyed it. That's probably closer. 
But even that, I don't know if it really has the same meaning as to what it did in their culture. So that's why he was so afraid. And you're about to see the response to his actions. And it says that he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. So he knew he was picking a fight. I mean, he knew it. It says, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered the altar of Baal that had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it that had been cut down. It says, in their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. It says, the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon. And so they go to his dad's house, knock on the door. They say, bring your son out, they demanded. Of Gideon's father. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal. That's why he was afraid. Because he knew. That this was serious business. I love Joash's. Gideon's father's return. Or uh, remark back to them. It says he shouted to the mob. That was confronting him. He says why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? He says whoever pleads his case. Will be put to death by morning. So. Joash actually had the authority to do this. So they're making a bunch of racket early in the morning in front of his house. He says, why are you trying to defend Baal? He says, if Baal, is, or if Baal truly is God, let him defend himself and destroy the, uh, the one who broke down this altar. From then on, Gideon's name has changed to uh, Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself because he had broke down Baal's altar. Now, in this moment, thankfully... We see that Gideon's father actually protects him. Because remember, it was his dad's altar. This wasn't somebody else's. This wasn't like the neighbor's altar. This was the altar in his dad's yard that he went and tore down. And had, in obedience to the Lord and did what he was supposed to do. But this was a test from the Lord to find out, Gideon, will you do what I tell you to do? Even though he was afraid, he still was obedient. When I'm talking about uh, really stretching out and believing God for more, it doesn't mean that there will not be fear at all. But what it means is that you will act in spite of the fear that you may feel. And that's important because you're going to have to act and take steps of faith in spite of fear. To do anything that God has for you. It doesn't matter in what arena of life it may be. It doesn't matter whatever the Lord may be. It's going to take faith. And you're going to have to have faith beyond what you feel. And it's important that you have an understanding of what God wants from you. I would say it this way. is that You need a word from God. Now that could be a scripture. That comes alive on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit prompts. But why? Because you're going to have to come back to that moment. And say, Lord, I remember that you said this because in this moment that feels like it's a million miles away. But I'm not going to give up on the thing that I've been believing for. I'm not going to let fear dominate my life. I'm going to take steps of faith and I'm going to go in what I know to do and in the strength that I have to do and to accomplish the things that you have for me. It says soon after this moment, something happens. You know, there's always rewards for obedience. There's always rewards for obedience. God always blesses when we act in in obedience to Him and obedience to His Word. And it says in verse 33, Soon afterwards, 
The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. So here's the reward for Gideon's act of obedience. Verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. See, Gideon had to go in the strength that he had to do what? To tear down his dad's altar. But then when the real enemy showed up, God says, Hey, Gideon, that strength that you had is not going to be enough this time. So now I'm going to clothe you in my power. See, Gideon's small step of faith created what? God's ability. God's greater ability. So that now Gideon would be able to do what he could have never done on his own. And yet when he was called, God said, hey, you're going to be a mighty deliverer. But you've got to start where you're at. And so he took step one. Well, now he has another enemy and God clothes him with his power. Now, we won't read it for the sake of time, but I'll just kind of fill in some of the story. One of the things that happens, though, is that right after this, he has an enemy. The power of God comes on Gideon. He goes out and blows a horn. And all of a sudden, what happens? All these men and all these warriors gather around him. Now, this is one thing that I've learned. If you want people of faith to gather around you and to stand in a fight with you, in a sense, this is very similar. It's going to take courage. One of the greatest attributes of, and I'll use this as an example because this is more in context of what's going on here. Of any leader of our military is not their knowledge, it's their courage. It's their ability to not flinch in the moment of greatest adversary. Why? Because their courage filters down to those that are following them. I mean, you go and read about World War II, some of the generals that they're, the men were like, I would follow that man to hell and back. Why? Because they had, because that man had courage. Bombs are going off all around them. Lights are flickering and, they're just about their business. Just another day at the office for them. But it created a confidence in their men. And there was something attractive about that. I believe it's one of the differences for us as a nation. I mean, obviously the Lord helped. And there's amazing stories that you can read where the God helped. And God did things during World War I, World War II, where it was nothing but the Lord worked. You know, but yet we we see that and even here is that I believe that exactly what it says is the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and his confidence, not in himself, but in the power of the Lord was attractive to those around him. And all of a sudden he had, you know, I mean, we'll see this here in just a moment. He attracted 32,000 men. Gideon was by himself in a hole. He was by himself when the Lord called him. He was by himself when he was, well, I mean, I guess he had a few servants with him. But all of a sudden... Gideon is attractive to those men that were now around because he goes out and calls and he's summoning warriors. And it says, and all of them responded at the end of verse 35. They all came. There was a grace on Gideon's life in this moment that we see. Now, you know, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all this, but this is where in these next few verses, we're going to drop down to, verse, or to chapter 7, but Gideon asked the Lord for a fleece. Now, I'll just say this because I always like to say it. We don't need fleeces today. Why? Because the Spirit of God will speak to us directly. 
We have the Spirit of God alive on the end. I don't need to go lay a blanket outside and be like, okay, make the blanket wet and the ground around it dry, and I'll know it's the Lord. Okay, Lord, don't get mad at me. I'm going to put the blanket back out, but this time I want the blanket dry, and I want the ground around it wet. Why did Gideon have to do that? Because he couldn't hear the voice of the Lord the way that we can today. The Bible says we have the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God living on the inside of us. So we don't need fleeces. You know, so hope that doesn't wreck your theology, but it might need to be wrecked if you hold to that. We are in a different dispensation. God will speak to us directly. So here in chapter 7, pick up in verse 1. It says, So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of uh, Herod. It says, The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of uh, Morah. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have way too many warriors with you. If I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. Now remember, Gideon is a fearful person. He's dealt with fear at every turn. And yet the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And now things are a little different. God gives him instructions. says, hey, you got too many people. Now the army he was fighting was massive. They were already outnumbered by a lot. I don't remember the exact number, but it was a massive army coming on them. And the, the Lord said, hey, you have too many people. He says, therefore, tell all the people, whoever is timid or afraid, that they can leave and go home. Why? Because fear has a way of keeping you from conquering. Yes. It just does. And so the Lord says, hey, first and foremost, if you're afraid, we've got to get that out of here. Gideon, I've got, the, I've got that fear out of you now, but I can't have it in your men either. So, hey, if you're afraid today, you just pack up and go home. Gideon probably didn't expect this response. 22,000 of them packed up. Praise the Lord. He went from 32,000 to 10,000. So Gideon's like, all right, well, Lord, you're going to do this. I'm ready. But the Lord speaks to Gideon again. He says, there are still too many. It says, bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. It says, then Gideon took his warriors down to the water and told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water into their hands and lap it up, uh, in their, or lap it up with their tongues like dogs. It says, in the other group, put all the men who kneel down and drink um, with their mouths in the stream. He says, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. It says, so all the others got down on their knees. So 9,700 men are on their hands and knees, drinking out of the river. The Lord speaks to Gideon and says, Hey, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. He said, Send all the others home. So if Gideon was beyond fear at this point, he might be revisiting that. Thinking, Lord, what in the world are you doing? God, don't ask me another question, just... Stop talking to me because every time thousands of people leave me, now I only got 300, so please don't take any more. Started out with 32,000. And yet the word of God says, I will rescue you and give you victory with these 300 men. It says, So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns from all the other warriors and he sent them home, but he kept 300 men with him. It says the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. It says that night the Lord said, 
Get up. Go down to the Midian camp, for I have given you victory over them. So God speaks and says, look, here's your promise, Gideon. I told you I would deliver you. But if you are afraid to attack. Now remember, Gideon has been on a journey here. He started out in a hole by himself. An angel of the Lord shows up. He gets his word from God. He's still not confident in that, but God works, God moves, and gets him out of that pit. Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Strength rises, courage rises. He's got a big old army, and God takes his army away from him, and all of a sudden, he's afraid. See, even in this moment, we see in Gideon's life where fear is a constant companion in his life. And when he can get past his fear, God is able to work. But every time <coughs> that he gives into that fear, it's, it really hinders what God wants to do. And this is what God says. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. He says, and listen to the Midianites or what they're saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. So God's telling him, he says, look, I realize that you are fearful. That you are wondering what in the world are you doing in this moment? And God says, go down there and listen, and you'll be greatly encouraged. I like this last part. He says, and then you'll be eager to attack. God says, Gideon, you're still afraid. i got to get that fear out of you. But if you'll go down and listen like I'm telling you to do, you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon takes his servant, and he went down to the edge of the enemy camp, the armies of the Midian, um, the Amalite, and the people of the east had settled in the valley. Like a swarm of locusts. It says their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. I told you it was a big army. It says, so Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down the hill into the Midianite camp. It says it hit a tent and it turned it over and knocked it flat. It says his companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshipped before the Lord. It says, then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted and said, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story. They go and do exactly what the Lord said he was going to do through Gideon. Gideon had gotten beyond his fear and what God said came to pass. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do through Gideon, through his men. Now, God had removed any confidence, which was very little, that Gideon had left. But Gideon had this, is that he was confident in the Lord. That, God, you will do what you have said you would do. He didn't allow fear to overwhelm him to the point where it kept him from his destiny. Because fear will. If you allow it, fear will keep you from what God has for you. And so to really, and I would say this, to even grab hold of God's desire, God's vision for your life, you're going to have to overcome fear. Because the moment that you believe and lay hold of what God has for you, the enemy is going to attack you in that very area. I mean, I've said this many times. Why would the enemy attack me to keep me from, I mean, to the point where I couldn't even form a sentence in front of people? Because it was the thing I was called to do. 
So he, if I never talked, then he doesn't have to worry about it. Man, I couldn't form a sentence. I'd stand up and go completely blank. You're like, well, how do you know that? Because I failed speech several times. That's why. I have all my notes there, there, and they might as well have been written in some other language. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, made no sense. But the enemy attacks me, what, in the area that I was, one of, let me say it this way, in one of the areas that I'm called to. Well, the enemy's going to attack you as well. Like, let me give you an example of this, kind of bring it even into, kind of, because sometimes I, I wonder if, even me sharing my story. I mean, I'm called to preach. Not everybody is. As a matter of fact, few people are called to do what I'm called to do. Just because not everybody can be preachers. But something that you and I believe are called to do is to come alongside of this body to help produce the vision that God has given us. It's not my vision. It's God's vision. And we are called alongside together so that we can do more. Because I can't accomplish what God has called me to do without you. You can't accomplish what God's called you to do in this season without me. Our callings are linked. So just as Gideon had men with him, I'm going to need people with me. Gideon didn't go out there by himself and defeat this massive army. If you go and read the rest of the story, it says that he took them and he divided his 300 into groups of three. So 100 and 100. And he says, look, y'all go over there and y'all start making some noise. He said, when I give you the, the sign, y'all, everybody start making a bunch of racket. Take your horns, start blowing them. And it threw everybody into chaos. They did it at midnight. Apparently mid, uh, Gideon was a night out like me. He goes and tears down an altar in the middle of the night. He picks a fight in the middle of the night. He goes and wages war in the middle of the night. So he's my kind of guy. Like, let's pick a fight at midnight. I'm good and awake at that time. They're all sleepy. I got an advantage. No, the moment that you really even, and even in those moments, I mean, even the Bible says what? That the thief comes, like when the word of God is sown, the hope of the word of God is sown, the very moment that faith grabs hold of the word of God, the enemy comes and does what? Tries to steal the word that is sown. Why? So that it cannot grab root. If he can take care of the root, he never has to worry about the fruit that would come from it. So he's going to come and steal that word, steal that that moment where your faith grabs hold and says, no, that is mine and that's what God has for me. And I'm going to stand and believe God that he can do more in me and through me than I think I can. But this is what I know. I'm more confident in him than I am me. And so I'm just going to believe God and I'm going to take my first step and I'm going to move in the strength that I have and I'm going to do those first steps that God tells me and yet the enemy will try to attack you in that moment to get you to pull back. And he will do it through fear. So fear will come. One of my favorite quotes, I've shared it many times, is, uh, is um, that courage is not the absence of fear, it's the mastery of fear. You can use the enemy's weapons to your advantage. I let it motivate me. I do. There's a reason he's fighting me. I'm afraid to do this. Okay, that's fine. 
But that means on the other side of that fear, I get to watch God work. Because I'll, I'll be sure it wasn't me. Well, the same thing is true for you. The enemy will always fight God's plan in your life, whether it be through discouragement, distraction, or defeat, whether past or present. You may have past defeat, and the enemy wants to put that on repeat in your mind. Oh, well, you know, you tried that once, and it didn't, go out, it didn't work out too well for you. I'll give you a story, an example of this. Most of you know this part of my story, but uh, when me and Derek first stepped out into full-time preaching ministry, I'd worked for a church for years before I was ever doing more of what I'm doing now. But the first step that we went into was just chaos, just lack of a better, it was just complete chaos. And, uh, you know, and I've had people ask me, well, you know, why would the Lord send you there and do all, you know, that can't be the Lord. And, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't walked through that season. Uh, if anything else, it made me much more compassionate uh, towards people. And, uh, you know, because I was not very pleasant in a lot of ways. I was like, just believe God, you know, just kind of harsh. Well, walking through some seasons has a way of knocking off harshness from you. Yeah, yeah. If you'll allow it. I mean, the Lord, you know, has a way of doing that. You know, but I remember kind of towards the end of this season of my life. I mean, we weren't even there that long, about a year and a half. It was just chaos from day one. Uh, it just was. And, uh, you know, a lot. Of, God still worked and God still moved. And, you know, I still have relationships with many of the people, uh, you know, that are from there. Love them. They're part of my story. I uh, learned a lot there. And, uh, but I remember that at the, at the close of that season... That I was extremely discouraged. Like discouraged to the point of maybe depressed. Pretty close. I mean, Dara says that she's never... I mean, I I don't lack for... I don't know what you call it, but just self-confidence. Not in an arrogant way, but just in a... I believe I can do it. And if I can't do it, I'm going to give it everything I got. If I fail, it's going to be given everything I got. Well, I was, wasn't sure if I was even called to the ministry. I wasn't sure. I mean, and there were lots of reasons... And I remember uh, my dad called. And, uh, you know, me and my dad had been married. I mean, it was really our first year and a half of marriage. We had moved away from family, all these things. And I remember my dad calling me, basically begging me to move back home. And I remember him saying, just bring your stuff back to Shreveport. Just as a dad, he loved me. And I was extremely discouraged, and he knew it. I mean, you know, there was no hiding it. But there was something in me that said, whatever you do, you can't do that. Now, I had no clue. But there was, there was something in me that just said, don't. And I, you know, I can't say what the Lord would have done, but I don't know that I would be doing what I'm doing today if I had. I'm pretty certain of that. I think I would have gone back home, licked my wounds, and just said, I'm never signing up for that again. Because it was rough. But I did one of the most illogical things, which at the time seemed like the most logical thing. I'm a pretty logical person, pretty analytical, you know. But I moved my stuff to Tulsa. I'd been to Tulsa one time in my life. I had one friend that I knew in Tulsa. This is, I mean, no exaggeration. I moved my stuff to Tulsa, and here was my thought. I don't have a clue where I'm going, and that's in the middle of the United States. But it wasn't in Missouri where I was. I put my stuff in a storage unit for a couple months. I don't know, two months or so. Ultimately, God opens the door for us to go to Kansas. 
you know, I mean, you know, we moved our, my stuff never moved back to Shreveport. Now, we lived there for a little while. We moved back and just, you know, we went and visited her dad, my parents, her brother. We went and traveled and saw some, you know, in between there. But in that moment of discouragement, it would have been very easy to make the wrong decision. So you have to be very careful when you're discouraged because fear will make you do the wrong thing. Instead of doing what you know is right in your heart, that discouragement will make even sound things sound goofy. Now, in the natural, it made all the sense in the world to go back to Shreveport. Why? Because I knew people loved me and I knew that I could be cared for, but yet that wasn't where God had called me. God had another assignment. Because the thing was, and I still hold to this, I didn't miss God by going there. You know, the Bible actually talks about this, and I don't know why I'm saying all this, maybe it's for somebody, but you know, the Bible says if you go somewhere and they do not receive you, what are you supposed to do? Shake the dust out of your coat and you go to the next place. And it was several months later that somebody actually said, I was praying, or actually right after, either, I think it was either right before or right after we left, somebody that I trust called me and said, I was praying for you and I felt like the Lord told me that he sent you there, but they refused the help. And so you've done nothing wrong and the Lord wants you to know that. Well, that gave me a glimmer of hope because I felt like a failure. I felt like I had just missed God. I felt like I didn't, have, I didn't know what way it was up. Well, God took me to another place where we got healed and restored and they loved us and, and ultimately has led us to this place. And yet, so many times, fear would want to speak. Discouragement would try to come. You know, I mean, just constantly. And yet, I've had to learn how to overcome these areas you know, another area that the enemy will fight, and it does come with fear, but it's, it, it's really um, something that fear will create in you as a distraction. If the enemy can't get you discouraged enough, he'll just get you distracted with a lot of other stuff. So that you're not doing the most important things. Maybe it's a past defeat, like I've been talking about. Hey, I, you know, in a sense, like a past scar that says, mm, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. Again, so here's my question for you tonight. One of them, I've got a couple. But here's the first one, is it, can you still uh, dream God's dream for you? Doesn't matter your season of life. Are you still asking God, God, what's your dream for me? Doesn't matter your season of life. God, what do you have for me? What do you want for me in my life right now in this season? What do you have? What do you want me to do? I mean, say it another way. Do you have a confidence that, God, you're not finished with me yet? You still have more for me to do. Now, kind of along that line is this, is that will you believe God for what is possible? Because here's the thing. God's going to lay something on your heart that you're going to say, I don't think I can do that. That's bigger than me. Of course it is. That's why he's telling you to do it. Because he wants to do it through you. Here's another question for you. Will you let your current limitation limit your ability to dream? You know, as I was sitting in my office and I was writing this, that the second part, or really that whole question, 
just rose up out of my spirit. Will you let your current limitation limit your ability to dream? Because you can let your right now be the reason why you can't believe for tomorrow. Well, God, you know my situation right now in this moment. There's no way I could ever get there. You got to have a vision. God, you want to use me to do more. My past does not determine my future. But yet, it, if you allow it to, it will. Well, I've tried to do that. I, I had that dream. I had that desire. And I, didn't, I wasn't able to do that. Doesn't mean it's over. You, you start with the strength that you have. You keep going in the strength that you have. Believing God to help you and to work with you. Do you have eyes that are full of faith that God would do what He said He would do? You've got to have that belief that God, you will do exactly what you said that you would do for me. It's the last statement that I'll share with you that I wrote that the Lord had stirred me is that don't settle for what Uh, Fear may speak. Don't settle for what your fear tells you. Don't just say, well, I guess that's the way it's going to be. No, it's not. You have great and precious promises. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir up faith in your heart and believe God for more. Stretch out. Stretch out and believe God for more. You know, I started off by talking about allowing God to write your story. Well, believe God to do more than what you've seen to this point. Now, we all, all of us have a different definition of what that more looks like. But this is what I know is God wants to do more. God wants to use you beyond what you perceive your ability to do. I believe God wants to use our church beyond our ability or our perception of what can be possible. Like, oh, we're just a a little church. We're just a small gathering. We're just a few group of people. That might be part of our story, but that's not all of our story. Because I believe God wants to use us to influence our city, to influence this region. To make impact on even a global scale. You're like, well, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to be some kind of TV preacher. I'll probably never be on TV. I don't want to be. If I'm on TV, it's because the Lord made me. But I don't want to be. I can trust you. I've been around it. I don't want nothing to do with it. But we're able to help missionaries and send people. And we're able to do a lot of things. So, yeah, we have a global impact. Why can't we have a greater impact in our city? And see, and you're like, well, why, do you, why have you been teaching on this? It's twofold. If you can't believe God to do more in your life. Through you, you can't believe God to do more in our church and through our church. So you've got to be able to believe it for you first. And then believe God would do it through us as a whole. And that's why it matters. And yet fear would come and say, well, who do you think you are? You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You better not do that. Fear will speak constantly to you. And yet you're going to have to do what Gideon did. 
You have to allow the Lord to strengthen you. As I love how it said it. Is that the Lord clothed him with strength. Just came up and put a jacket on him. Said, Gideon, I'm going to give you some strength. To believe God for your life, for what God's purpose is in your life, and ultimately even in the life of our church. But when we do that, we'll do exactly what Gideon did. We'll go out and do the very thing that God called us to do, and it would be like finding a small army, and we just get to do our part. We go in the abilities, the strength, the grace that we have, but then God begins to work and do way more than we could ever do in ourselves, And then God gets all the glory, and we get to be a part of His story. Amen. Well, stand up with me tonight.